Welcome to a brand new episode of the All Hoops Podcast, your go-to home for all things basketball. We're talking Western Conference this week. We're going to give you our over-unders that we absolutely love. We'll also discuss Zion Williamson's latest injury and why I'm hammering the Pelicans under. Before we get to all that, Chris, my friend, only a few more days before basketball begins. How are we? What's up, Stevie? You know, we're so close to the start of the NBA season. I could smell it. Um... I'm excited about our Knicks, obviously, but we'll talk about that in our next show. The Western Conference has gone through a lot of changes over the summer, and I think we can count on three or four locks of teams that will definitely be will be making deep into the playoffs. But, like, you have the Clippers. You have teams like the Mavericks who can easily be a contender but also be middle of the pack or, or, or worse. Um, the Utah Jazz. There are so many teams that we need to get into. So let's start with the Utah Jazz, right? Right now, Vegas has them at 52 and a half wins. I think we're both on the agreement with this one that I think this will be probably be the over. Yeah, I mean, to me, they remind me a lot of about eight, nine years ago, the Atlanta Hawks, where they just had an above average player at every position, but they're just not going to win in the playoffs. And that's kind of how I feel about this group. I think, you know, that group did not have a Donovan Mitchell, right? He's a guy who could step up his game and push them around in the playoffs where I don't think the Hawks could. But this, you know, Rudy Gobert to me, I don't know if you can win with a center as your second best player in in 2021 playoffs, right? But you can win regular season games. And that's where they're at. And I think it's a pretty easy over. They've hammered this over in the last couple of years. You know, I don't really see why they can't do it again. Yeah, the other thing, too, and this will be a theme throughout, you know, a lot of my justifications for the over-unders we're going to talk about. There's a, there's a lot less competition, I think, in the West in terms of top-tier teams. And I think you can make the case that Utah, you know, with the Nuggets being injured, with the Mavericks, you're not sure what's going to happen there. You know, the Lakers are also susceptible to injuries. You can make the case that the Utah Jazz, if they're also healthy, they can be the top team in the West. So, I don't know. I really like the over on that one. Um, But let's talk about the Denver Nuggets, right? The Denver Nuggets right now are dealing with the absence of Jamal Murray. I don't think he's expected to be back this season, or if he is, it'll be late into the season, which at that point, what's the purpose of bringing him back? They're at 48 and a half. Why do you think that'll be an under? I just don't think there's enough talent around Jokic, right? I mean, he was the MVP. He deserved the MVP. But I don't think there's a lot of defense on this team, including Jokic. I don't know where they're going to find the firepower around him. You know, I think Michael Porter Jr. takes a step up this year. You're very bullish on him, obviously. But they just need more. They need more help. And they really just need Jamal Murray. And with Jamal Murray, this is a group that – to me, can fight like Phoenix did. And if things break their way, they can go to a finals. But without him, to me, they're just a first-round team, and I'm going to take the under. So here's my one argument for the Nuggets. I think – I actually think they might hit the over. They have a good enough team to get those 40 – get over 40 and a half wins. You're also getting um, Will Barton back. I mean, he, 
he was a, you know, he was a big part of the team when he was healthy. And I think he's really the only bench guy I trust for them though. Like, especially with no Murray, yeah. like now Morris has to go into the starting lineup. They don't really have a lot of depth here to where if somebody goes down, they're in big trouble. And Porter's got the longest injury history by a 23 year old you'll ever see. And like, I don't know. I don't know if there was an update to his vaccination status. He's a, he's a, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. So, I mean, those are all, those are factors that could potentially, you know, hamper the Denver Nuggets. But at the same time, you have Jokic, who's, who's an MVP. And, you know, down the stretch, they were a pretty hot team. You know, he was carrying them all the way through into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I, I'm going to go with the, umber, uh, the over sorry, on this one. Yeah, uh, I think this is one that could be very close. I mean, when you have an MVP caliber player, right, they can usually carry you at least to mid-40s. This is a team that went 47-25 and 25 last year. I can see um, a similar number now, but, you know, remember there is a 10 extra games. I don't think it's crazy day the over. I just think there's not enough firepower here. And if, you know, what's Aaron Gordon? You know, he just signed a monster extension. I don't think he provides enough offense. Can Michael Porter provide enough defense and stay on the court? There's just a lot of ifs on this team, and I think there's more questions than answers. I mean, you're probably right, but I just think that in the regular season, having a player like Jokic really matters. And I think there's very few players in the league that can guard Jokic. And frankly, even a little bit more of what Michael Porter provided last year is probably going to be enough for the regular season. And I think with the contributions of, of Barton and as you mentioned, Aaron Gordon, you know, I think those guys, if they step up, you're going to get over 48 and a half. Next one, Portland Trailblazers, 44 and a half. Chris, this one reminds me exactly of what we talked about last year with the Rockets, where it was such a low number. And it seems like Vegas was kind of hedging for the big trade. And that's kind of what I see here where it's like, it's a lock over. If Lillard stays, it's a lock under. If Lillard, Lillard gets traded, how do you see this playing out? I'm only going to play with what I know. So right now, Damian Lillard is on the team. And right now, our next being one of the suitors, potentially for Damian Lillard, I think right now Damian Lillard's heart is in Portland. And I don't, unless they go through another, breakup, another uh, heartbreaking season where they exit the playoffs early, I just don't see him demanding a trade in season. I don't think he's that type of guy considering, you know, everything he's been through with, with Portland. I just don't see him screwing over a team mid season. I think he's going to probably stand pat and stay there. And that for me, I would take the over there. I really believe this is a group that has been very consistent the last couple of years in the regular season. They add Larry Nance, who's going to play a big role He's a guy who I think can really help this offense, right? And I think he can also help them defensively as well. And, you know, he was a guy who was like, look, I'm ready to win. I'm from Cleveland. I wish if I was 22, I'd want to be here for 10 years, right? But I'm nearing, you know, I'm getting older. I've been injured. I want to go win. And now he's on a team that can go win, you know, a round or two. And I, I think this, you know, they want to win this for Lillard. They want to make sure he's happy and keep him there as long as they can. So, you're not going to see a team that's coasting to the playoffs. They're going to give every single thing they can in the regular season. And when you're talking about these over-unders, that's always a big factor. How much effort the team is going to put in the regular season. Yeah. 
And I think uh, right now Portland has a special window. I'm not saying they're going to make it to the finals. I'm not trying to say that at all. I just think that the West right now has a lot of vulnerable teams. And I think even the Lakers, considering the injury histories of those, their top guys. And, you know, after that, it's really like an open, it's open season, right? Like, I, I think the Mavericks could really make it, make some noise, but the Clippers probably won't be able to like make it deep. And Portland has an opportunity once again to really uh, make some noise. And you know, it's 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 pretty much now or never for the war for the for the Portland Trailblazers. So now or never, very well said. Uh, next up, Minnesota Timberwolves. Pretty much the same roster, completely new ownership. I'll be fascinated to see how many changes, you know, A-Rod and Mark Lore make in the next couple of years. But for now, this is the same group. The number is 34 and a half wins. What do you think? So I'm going to take the over on this one. I am a, I am in the belief that Carl Anthony Townsend have the best professional career, a professional year of his, of his young career. I think with everything that he went through last year, with his mother and dealing with COVID, I think he's primed to have a bounce back year. I think that he is, I think the gist I get from him is that he's tired of being a bottom seller team. And I'm, I'm so excited to see what he does here. And I think now with a motivated cat, I think they'll, they'll be a team that'll be motivated to make the plan this year. Yeah, Chris, if you told me, like, any non-Nick I'm rooting for more this year, you might make the case for Towns. I mean, as you mentioned, this is a guy who is very easily rooted for. So much has gone wrong in the last year for him, and so much has gone wrong for this franchise for the last 15 years. The one good year they had, Jimmy Butler walked out the door. They could never replace him. And I'm gonna, unfortunately, I'm taking the under. I just – Towns has not been healthy the last couple of years. D'Angelo Russell has not been healthy the last couple of years. When those two came back last year, offensively, they were very, very good. And defensively, they were horrific. And I think even if you can find a way to keep those guys healthy, having your new coach Finch, who people rave about, have them become competent defensively in a pretty good West is going to be really, really tough. And I just think, like, somebody's got to hit their under. Somebody's got to be near the bottom. And unfortunately, I think it's going to be Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, man. Um, I, I just think the West is a lot weaker. I think, I think there are very few players in, in the West that can guard someone like Towns. And right. that's, that's very true, but they, he doesn't guard anybody either. So unless he starts playing defense, I don't really see this becoming more than it's been. All right, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll I, see. We're I think we're going to go under. Uh, let's head over to another expected bad team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're at 23 and a half wins. This one's tough. This, is, this one might be one of the harder ones, but I think under is probably the right choice here. I think I, I can see a scenario where the Oklahoma City Thunder might potentially win in their first 60 or so games, they might win 15 games and then try to tank the rest of the way like they did last year. 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before. A lot of these wins are just based on how much does the team care about the regular season. And the Thunder care less about the regular season than any team we're going to talk about today. And it's sad because this was a team that was on pace for basically 30 wins. And then they shut SGA down, you know, 60% through the season, killing my fantasy team, of course. Uh-huh. And now I don't really know. Are they going to do the same thing again? And tanking last year didn't really work. They didn't get that top five draft pick and get one of these studs like Cade Cunningham or Jalen Green. They got Josh Giddy with a sixth pick. We'll see what he becomes. But for the most part, it's SGA and a bunch of very interesting young players. But we don't really know if Poku or, or, or you know, any of these guys can really play at a high level in the NBA. So they're really as much of a wild card as any team. But I'm just going with the under two because I just don't think they're motivated to win games. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no telling what they're going to do with that roster. Who knows that whole roster might even be traded again. I mean. You just don't know with the with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, heading over to a, the the Los Angeles Lakers right now, Vegas has them at fifty two and a half wins. Now, this one is is interesting because I think, you know, when LeBron went down last year, we saw how this team struggled, right? Even though Anthony Davis was also kind of injured. Uh, they just added Russell Westbrook. So do we think this team is better than 52 and a half wins? I mean, I'm gonna say yes. I'm, yeah, the over. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to take the over. This one was tough. Um, I just think it's, you're relying on LeBron who's in eight year, 19, Anthony Davis, who has always been injury prone and an older Russell Westbrook who has to learn how to play with a ball dominant guy in LeBron James. All of that to me does not equal 52 and a half wins, but this is LeBron James. This is Anthony Davis. This might be the best duo in the sport. Russell Westbrook has always been amazing in second halves of seasons once he learns that team's offense. And I think, you know, they will get to the playoffs as a dominant team. And I'm going to go with the over. I think that's wise. I think it's hard to bet against LeBron James. I think the moment, you do is when you lost the bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so let's head over to the Clippers now. Um, the Clippers are at 43 and a half wins. I think that's really high for them. I think you agree with that one. Yeah, I do. I just, there's no Kawhi. People are acting as if he's coming back. And this is a guy who has always taken his sweet time coming back from injuries. And an ACL tear is usually 14 months. So I don't really see in the best case scenario, how he's returning this season or returning for the regular season at least. So I'm taking the under. Their second best player is Reggie Jackson. And I understand he had a nice postseason, but come on, Chris. Listen, I'm with you. I think this team was really close to making the NBA Finals, which is a crazy thought without Kawhi Leonard. But it's one of those cases where they really caught fire and faced some favorable matchups. Um, that being said, the one thing, the, the, the issue I have with the Clippers is what, what are you aiming for in this season? I think in many respects, 
tanking might be a better option here. And why? Yeah, they have too much. They have too many vets to tank. No, they no, I I know that. I'm just thinking like if I'm thinking about this team's long term future, this year is a golden opportunity to upgrade cheap talent, right? And you do that by the draft. And I'm not saying that's what they're going to do because as you said, they already have bets, but it just seems like a golden opportunity for them because you never know with Kawhi. I right? just don't see how they could. Like, unless you're yeah. telling Paul George who's making $40 million a year, hey, like, you just started this Supermax. You're going to sit out this year in your prime so we can hope to get a better draft pick. Like, I just don't see it. I and mean, listen. Are it, they, it, they're better off, yes, they're better off with a high draft pick than competing for the nine seed. Agreed. I just, don't point is, I, I just want to throw that idea out there because right now as currently constructed, this team is barely a playoff team. You know, it's, yeah. it's maybe I think their hope is teams. that they are barely a playoff team. And then Kawhi comes and is a hundred percent in April. And I don't think that's realistic, but that's what they say. And we and talk about how that goes. And we talk about Paul George as if he's a healthy young guy. He's, he's, he also has had his injury. Right. Problem. If he goes down for a couple of months with an injury, that changes things. And I'm going to say, hey, Chris, you were, you were right about the tanking thing. <laughs> I'll be waiting for that. I'm All looking right. forward to it. All, All right. right. Next up, the Phoenix Suns, 51 and a half, Chris. I kind of like the over on that one. I think the Suns are hitting momentum. I think... I think making the NBA Finals makes any team more confident. I think even if Chris Paul goes down in an injury, I think they have enough talent there to really sustain that loss. So I like the over. I like the over, and I think they'll compete with the Lakers for the top spot in the West. Agreed. Uh, I definitely think that, yes, they could sustain a Chris Paul deal, uh, Chris Paul injury. Also, you have DeAndre Ayton, contract year. Yeah, Miles, uh, Michael Bridges, contract year. Two really good young players who were looking for $100 plus million. They're heavily motivated. Devin Booker is, you know, continuing to get better. I see this as an easy over. Oh, definitely easy over. Um, that, that was another option I was considering for my, my, um, my go-to pick that we're going to talk about later on in the show. Um, Golden State Warriors, 48 and a half. That one's, that one's a funny one. I think you can go either way on that one, but, um, I see that you like the, the under on that one. Yeah, this one was tough, but I just don't get the sense that Clay Thompson is around the corner. They're saying now Christmas and they're like, well, we'd be comfortable if he comes back in January or, or later and we could still be fine. Like, will you though? Because like, the last couple of years this has been Steph Curry, please save us, or we're going to be really mediocre. And Steph Curry has averaged, you know, nine seed, the eight seed. So I really don't know how they can make this work. And unless they get a hundred percent Clay Thompson back, I, you know, they keep talking about, you know, Wiseman improvements year two. The best they played last year was when James Wiseman was hurt. So I don't really see how he fits into just them shooting. And like you're relying on Andrew Wiggins, who has kind of always been an afterthought. So I think to me, this is a low 40s win team. They're a playing team. They're a relevant team, but 48 and a half wins. Like that's a high number. That to me is like around the four or five seed. And I just don't see where that team is. I'm inclined to agree with you on, on the fact that the Warriors um, 
you know, they could barely beat the Grizzlies last year in the play-in. Um, they, they did beat the Grizzlies, you're right, yeah. No, they, they lost no, to the Grizzlies. No, no, that's what I said. They yeah, lost, they lost to the, the Grizzlies in the play-in. Um, the one thing with the Warriors that always keeps me up at night is that, like, Steph Curry could explode any night for 40. Yeah. I wonder how long Curry can sustain that. And I think toward the end of last season, you know, teams were essentially triple and quadruple teaming him. That's why they need Clay. And, and if they're not going to rush him back, I don't see how 48 is possible. And if you don't have more reliable people and um, other playmakers, it's going to be how, how it's going to be tough to get to 48 and a half wins. Um, anyway, moving on to Sacramento. Sacramento is a funny one also. I think there's a lot of variables there, but we mostly agree that the team is a – is we don't know what the hell they're doing there. Anyway, Vegas has them at 36.5. They have like a million point guards um, and not enough talent elsewhere. Where do, you, what do you, where do you stand with the Kings? I'm sorry, so, Chris, this is the hardest one for me to judge of anyone we're going to talk about today. While you were talking, I was literally going back and forth, back and forth, over, under, over, under. There's so many things to like about this team, and there's so many things you hate about this team. Obviously, franchise history, very bad. Luke Walton as the coach immediately comes in and slows down their high pace offense, very bad. They have way too many point guards, very bad. But at the same time, all those point guards and those guards are really good. De'Aaron Fox is really good. Hal Burton's going to improve. Devion Mitchell is the first king to play defense in a decade, 15 years. So that's really good. They still have Buddy Heald, who I think is going to rebound this year. And I'm not talking about Marvin Bagley, forget him, but Rashawn Holmes was one of the more underrated big guys in the league last year. They brought him back in a pretty cheap number. So all that, to me, I think they're going to run more. I think they figured that out in the second half. I'm going to take the over on 36 and a half. Wow. I don't think they're a playoff team. But at the same time, could they get 38 wins and kind of hang around that race like they did two years ago? I think yes. I'm going to go with the under here. I think in in the West where you have a lot of front court players that are a lot more talented than the ones that the Kings have, they're going to really struggle. And as great as the guys that you mentioned, you know, Halliburton and Davion Mitchell will be great perimeter defenders. I don't think there's enough creation on offense that could really make teams like be scared of them. So I'm going to have them on the under, although I really appreciated your, your stretch of, of (laughs) making the King seem like formidable, but I just don't see it. I can also see this being one of those teams that's like nine and 20. They fire Luke Walton and then go on a stretch where they can be relevant for a few months and, and, and 36 trade. and a half is just not a huge number to where if they can win 38 games to me it's still a disappointing season for them and at the same time you hit the over I just don't think that to me the Kings are are like a team that's driving with a bus driver that's been like knocked out and unconscious I mean over the, the last big, 15, big, over the last 15 years they've averaged 50 losses a year so you pick any drunk guy in a bar would do better than that. That's what I'm saying. Like when you have a coach that doesn't know to play the strengths of the team, no. players who are disgruntled, 
you know, your best players end up being the, the, the ones you just drafted. And there's really not enough, I think, veteran leadership on that squad to, to anchor that bus. I think all that is very true. And maybe I'm getting too high on the Devion Mitchell. Again, preseason, summer league, he's playing defense. I've fallen for it a little bit, Chris. Listen, Steve, like, I don't think you're crazy for, for thinking that a player with the intangibles like Davion Mitchell, like, he's one of the variables that I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the Kings. Can a young guy like that make that much of an impact on a roster that is rotten? I don't know. I don't think so. We'll, we'll see. But I think 37 and 45 is not insane for it's a, not. a group that has this much talent. And again, like, they also could be a team that tra- trades, you know, healed and a couple of picks for, for Simmons. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, Simmons will be motivated. That's a team that could win 40 games. Oh yeah. If you make the trade for Simmons, that's, that's a difference. It's, we're talking about. I just think they have too many guards and they're eventually going to trade the glut for something. As they should. As they should. As they should. Um, okay. So let's head over to the Southwest division. Um, there's a few teams that we like here. Uh, both of our locks are in, are in this division. But let's talk about the other two that aren't. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies are at 41 and a half wins. That has to be among the more tantalizing over-unders because I think you can't sleep on the Grizzlies. I feel like the Grizzlies have one of the more um, intelligent front offices. They're always up to something. They're always willing to try something. And I think we can't count them out ever. And they actually have talent on that roster. I think you can expect, you know, improvements from Desmond Bain. You can expect an improvement from Ja. Um, you don't, they don't have your boy Jonas anymore. Um, you know, but they have, they have talent on that roster. They also have Dylan Brooks. I forgot about him. So where do you, where do you stand with them? I think 41 and a half is the number they can be. I love the over here. I just love it. And I just think this is a, a group that continues to grow and improve. And to me, this is what the Kings want to be. They want to play fast. They have one of the faster point guards in the league. You know, they have a really interesting, you know, two guard in Dylan Brooks who can shoot. He can score. He's a tenacious defender. He's a guy that every team really wants a Dylan Brooks. Plus, he looks like our buddy Sebs. So there's that. And then also, I don't love the Steven Adams, Valanciunas thing. I don't really see what they were trying to do there. Obviously, they couldn't get stops in the playoffs. and They were saying, let's get a, a traditional center in Adams. But I'm not really sure that's the answer either. I think to me, this comes down to what we know Jaws great. We know Dylan Brooks is good. What is Jaron Jackson? This is a guy who's been hyped up and hyped up fourth overall pick a few years ago. The GM survey this year said he will be the most improved player in the league. They've been pretty good with this the last few years. They picked Porter Jr.'s breakout and SGA's breakout a year ago. They believe in him. It's just, can he be healthy for 50, 60 games? The answer so far has been no. I think yes this year. Let's take the over. I, I'm, I'm inclined to think that the Grizzlies, I think the best thing, especially with young teams, is continuity. And I think that will be one of the reasons why I would take the over with the Grizzlies. I just think that with, with those young players, and, they're, and they've all like gotten playoff experience already, I think you can only grow from there. You know, once you've had a taste of it, you're going to want 
more of it. So I like the four. I like the forty-one and a half for them too. Over the over. The over. Okay, next up, the New Orleans Pelicans. I like the Jonas Valanciunas trade, but basically nothing else worked this offseason for the Pelicans. They lose Lonzo Ball for more or less nothing. Then they give up a first-round pick to get my guy, Devontae Graham, who I think is a very good backup. But now he's going to probably have to start. They have a weird glut of point guards with Kira Lewis and Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Graham, who they gave all this money to and a first-round pick to get. I just don't like this roster at all. And then on top of that, there's the talk about Zion Williamson, Chris. And they said two weeks ago, Zion's going to be ready for opening night. And now it's David Griffin saying, I never said that. I expect him to be ready for some point in the season. He's out indefinitely now. I hammered that under 39 and a half. This is the lock of our over-unders, East and West. This is just a team that's not going in the right direction. We love David Griffin, Chris. We were Wait. so excited when the Knicks were interviewing him okay. for that GM position a couple of years ago. And then we heard, oh, he has to work for Steve Mills. He turns his car around and says, forget it. Chris, he's been bad in New Orleans. Everything has gone wrong. And with Zion bigger, heavier, and now with a major foot injury, I don't see how this is going to become a good season. No. and. So it's hard to really like argue against how the Pelicans can really like even scratch the surface of that over under, right? The one thing that could be a saving grace for them could be what happens with, with Ingram, right? If Ingram has a, another all-star all type season, you know, maybe he ends up being the alpha dog on that team. I just think right now with, with Zion is such a, the Pelicans are in such a crossroads, right? Like if if Zion comes back healthy, can he lead you to the playoffs? Like the Pelicans were sniffing the playoffs uh, two years ago, I believe, when it was the bubble, right? Last year, they were in the run for a little bit, but then like tailed off toward the end. The Pelicans, to me, haven't shown that sort of, I don't know. They, they, they seem like a very immature team. You know, like it didn't work out with Stan Van Gundy. Granted, Stan Van Gundy. One year. He was there one year. And they're like, we got to get this guy out of here. But listen, but granted, Stan Van Gundy isn't everyone's favorite tee. And the concerning thing with Zion, too, is like, okay, so is this foot thing going to be a bigger issue or, or, or just injuries in general going to be an issue with him throughout his, his career? Like, I mean, I really, so far. I, I really hate the conversation around his, his body weight, but, you know, speaking from, a, like, a, I guess, from a far away standpoint, like, you wonder, what is it that is causing all these injuries, right? Is it, is it just the way his nature, his playing, like, his nature of playing style? Is it too much, is it too much pressure on his knees and feet? Like, I mean, yeah, are, I think this is a major concern. These are the major questions that the Pelicans brass are thinking about right now. And to be honest with you, when we didn't get Zion a few years ago, it was disappointing. And I remember you especially being really disappointed not getting him or Ja. But you can make a case that RJ Barrett was a safe pick, but he was also he 
right now he probably has one of the biggest upsides of that draft. Yeah, you could definitely make that case for sure. And um, I think, you know, you pick third, I would still pick him third today. I think he is a person you'd be very happy with, with a third pick. He's a guy who's shown I'm healthy. I'm, he led the league in minutes with Randall last year. So you should, he has a huge workload. He's probably played twice as many minutes or more than Zion so far. So from that perspective, great. Zion has an upside unforeseen. Like he is a guy who could carry a franchise to the playoffs if he was healthy. But Chris, you talk about foot injuries for big guys. That never works. Like in the history of basketball, that's never been a thing that's worked out well. And now we're talking about he's heavier. You can make the debate, oh, it's muscle, it's fat. The point is he's heavier, which is bad for his knees, as you correctly said. Not great for that foot injury. And he's already a guy who you're hearing rumblings that doesn't even want to be there. So, I, like, I think when it, comes, I, when it comes to his appearance and the putting on more weight, putting on more weight is not necessarily a bad thing. I think in, in the case of Zion, it depends where that weight is. I think it's a bad thing when you have knee and foot problems. If Brandon yeah. Ingram puts yeah. on weight, great. If Zion right. Williamson yeah. puts on weight, not great. At the same time, though, if you're like, strengthening the muscles in your legs I think that's a different conversation but with the the photos that I saw it didn't seem like it was just the legs no it certainly did not respectfully of Zion respectfully I just think again we want Zion to do well and you know he's a major draw in the NBA we're an NBA show we want all our stars playing as well as they possibly could you know but for right now it seems like it's lose-lose for the Pelicans. Either oh, he's, totally hurt, lose. he's hurt and they don't really know how to replace him, or he's healthy and he kind of wants to get out of there because they've been so dysfunctional. You know, he's had three coaches in three years. You know, yeah. I mean, that's not good. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's bad. And he's also barely playing. And also, as we've talked about Ingram, Ingram's played his best basketball in New Orleans when Zion's not there. That's also a major issue that we haven't really talked about much because Zion hasn't really been there. So to me, everything is a red flag here. You know, I'm not a huge Lonzo Ball guy, but like the idea that they let him go for nothing, didn't get anything for him. And then they trade a first round pick and you have big money for Devonta Graham. I don't, I don't get what's going on there. And you know, the, the Adams Valanciunas thing, I like Valanciunas, but like Valanciunas is a offensive minded big guy. Zion Williamson, an offensive-minded big guy. Those guys, to me, can't play together either. Who's defending the rim? So either, like, this whole roster is just filled with guys we kind of like who just don't fit at all. And that's why, to me, the biggest lock of the year, under 39 and a half wins. I actually got that one at 38 and a half, and I still thought it was too high. Um, San Antonio Spurs, 29 and a half wins. What do you, what do you got? This one, again, to me, is entirely based on Pop does not want to tank. He's never shown he wants to tank. I don't think he's willing to adjust. They should tank. They're not going to tank. I'm taking the over. I just believe this is a group that is going to try really hard. I think a lot of the DeRozan points they lost last year were empty calories. And I think Keldon Johnson is a guy who can emerge as not a number one option, but a guy who can, who's improved. I think Murray is a guy who's improving. And it's a group of kind of good young players, none of which are really top 50 NBA players, but they're a decent group 
Uh, Thad Young had a really good year in Chicago last year. Nobody talks about that. Got him in the DeRozan sign and trade. Mm-hmm. I think this is a group of, of vets who are going to, you know, young vets who are really going to put their A game in and Pop's going to put that foot on the gas. And I think they're going to have a very mediocre 33 win season, which really helps them go nowhere, but helps us make money. It, <laughs> it does. Um, the Spurs are funny. I just don't think there's a lot of talent there. I think, although your point about Kelvin Johnson is well received because I always, you know, this is not a new concept, but the idea that, you know, he was playing with the Olympics, uh, the U S men's national basketball team in the Olympics. I think that's good because you get to learn through osmosis, like how the top players in the league really, you know, train and, and practice and those are all things that are are good considering uh he's a younger player that being said that roster doesn't have a lot you have what Lonnie Walker you have DeJounte Murray we've been waiting for the Lonnie Walker breakout for what feels like a decade but it's probably been like three years I mean he was injured I think his 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 rookie year but I don't know because like every game he has a spectacular top 10 sports center play and then you look at the box score and you're like, oh, he has six points. Yeah. You know? And they have a lot of guys like that. Listen, man, I'm, I, I just think that with him, it's like, a, it's, it's hard, man. I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I hope Lonnie Walker figures it out this year. And I think he has an opportunity now that DeRozan is out. But we'll see. Right now, I think I'm going to go with the under. I think, you know, Popovich is – is 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 run of of you know semi competitive teams will probably end this year and I think it's not going to go well. <laughs> um, if that happens, is this pops last year with the Spurs? I think so. I think like realistically, how can you turn this team into a championship contender without attracting top talent? You can't. You can't even attract top talent. You're not even in a position to attract top talent. So if that happens, right, and they win 25 games, I can see for a scenario right now where they get the number two pick in the draft, they luck out because they always, whenever they're bad, they luck out and get the number one or number two pick, right? They let Becky Hammond take over, and then she's got some star, and San Antonio wins 45 games next year with a really good player, and Becky Hammond gets coach of the year, and we're all happy. (laughs) Remember, Steve, we're not doing it for next year we're doing it for this year but i like uh, that idea you're right you're right um okay moving on houston 26 and a half i think that's so easy it's under i can't see this team winning more than 26 and a half games yeah i agree i like what they're doing i thought they had a good draft um i've heard really good things about basically every single one of the four rookies they draft in the first round but they're rookies and i think it's going to be a slow rebuild I also don't think they really want to win a lot of games like the Thunder. There's two teams that are not competing for the playoffs, the Thunder and the Rockets. Mm-hmm. I think the Rockets just don't really have a lot of interest in winning games. They're trying to develop talent. I think Jalen Green's going to be a good one. You talk to him and you say, you know, basically anything. And he recites, hey, I wasn't the first pick in the draft. And he's bringing it up. It's a huge motivator for him. And, you know, it's really funny because, like, Draymond Green, he was the 35th pick in the draft, right? And he can recite every player that was taken in front of him. And they talk to Jalen Green. He's like, yeah, I could do the same thing. One player. But he acts as if he was a second-round pick. And I think the chip on his shoulder is going to be really interesting to see because, for one, I don't think you should have a chip on your shoulder when you're the second pick. But also, 
that competitive spirit and you're going to have a lot of shots up for grabs on that team. To me, this is a guy who could be the first 20 point rookie rookie scorer in a, a while since, since, since like, Luca, I think. Oh, Luca. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. not that, that's not that long ago. It's then. been like, that was like four years ago. Four years ago. Is this Luca's fourth year? Oh God. Okay. Um, I'm inclined to agree with the under on this one. Uh, let's move on to our, I believe, our last pick of these. Um, it's my lock. It's right. the Dallas Mavericks over 48 and a half. I think last year the issue with the Mavericks is that they started out slow. Um, and I think you erase that from the resume. And I think that the Mavs actually had a pretty good season considering what happened with, you know, the – you know, the absence of Porzingis, I think him meshing with the group was always like a, it felt like an issue all season long, but now with the additions of Reggie Bullock and and some others, I think this team is primed to get a top four spot. They were top five last year, I believe. And I, I, I see the Mavericks end up, they'll probably end up in the Western conference finals this year think i can see this definitely being a team that gets better as the year goes on but chris you mentioned two issues one they didn't have a lot around luca they brought in reggie bullock and you said and others reggie bullock was it they didn't really do anything else they gave tim hardaway a giant deal to come back a deal that was basically you know we dumped tim hardaway right and we were like oh my god we got rid of that contract they gave him a bigger contract this time so i don't I don't see this team being much better than last year. It's really going to come down to can Porzingis fit with Luca? Can he be that number two? He's complained about his role. He's complained about being stuck in the corner shooting. He's been unhealthy. And it really comes down to what are you getting out of him? Are you getting mixed Porzingis or are you getting Dallas Porzingis? If you're getting Dallas Porzingis, I think this is a pretty mediocre team, kind of like Denver, where you have the one MVP guy trying to carry the team to 48 and a half wins. And I think they're going to be slightly short of that. I'm going to take the under. Well, listen, I think with the Mavericks, though, even if there weren't significant others, there weren't, um, the addition of Reggie Bullock, I think, really adds a lot of stability to the shooting guard position that the Mavericks haven't had and and wish they had with... um, uh, It's escaping me, but the the former... um, Josh Richardson? Josh Richardson, right. They sent him to Boston. He already got a contract extension. So so Reggie Bulk is going to fill the role that he was supposed to. And you add that three-point element next to Luca. That's all you need really around him. He's he's a great player without it. You have Porzingis space out to four. Listen, you ask him to do less, and that'll probably be better for his knees. You have Tim Hardaway Jr. And... You know, it wouldn't surprise me if this team just, like, improves just by the, the simple fact that there's just cohesion and consistency here, right? Like, I think they've they've played, like, a, a little bit of um, musical chairs in terms of, 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 you know, not bigger players, right? But, like, this, um, you know, players coming in and out, and I think this is a good group where they can build on you know, Tim Hardaway is clearly one of their cornerstones. And so moving forward, the Mavericks, I think, I think probably have one of the biggest upsides in the Western Conference. 
yeah, I definitely think they have a, a big upside. I'm just curious to see how it all plays out. I think Porzingis is just such an important part of this team. And, you know, I'm a and, big Porzingis listen, fan, but that has waned in the last couple of years. Listen, I think with Porzingis, though, he's going to want to come back motivated. He's going to come want to to prove people wrong and do everything in his power to, to, to be healthy and to, like, stay in games. And I think the key to that really is to, to, to optimize him as someone who is, is a shooter. Like you can't have him do a lot of things that he did before that, but I think reducing your expectations on him is probably the right thing to do here. If you're yeah, a fan. And, but I think without him, they're mediocre. I mean, they're mediocre with him. Granted, I, I, I get what you're saying. I just think that you optimize Porzingis. You want to have Porzingis. You don't want to have him, like, ball out for three or four games and then not play ten games, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Chris, let's get to our final thoughts. All right, Chris, final thoughts time here. Ben Simmons is back for the Sixers. We're unclear when he will play. He's re getting reconditioned, so no preseason for him. I still think the perfect trade is sending him to Brooklyn for Kyrie Irving. It solves both problems. You know, Kyrie Irving can't play in Brooklyn. He can play basically anywhere else. I don't see why that wouldn't work. And then also you have Ben Simmons, who does not need to shoot on a team with James Harden, Kevin Durant, Joe Harris, and so many other guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate the idea. I think uh, no one's going to touch Kyrie Irving as until that vaccination thing is is sort of settled with him. But it's not a problem in Philly. No, no, I hear you. But I think anything that has to do with Kyrie comes with a twofold. The, the, the other part being that KD wants him there. That's the problem. To me, that's the problem. If Kevin Durant gave his blessing, they, they could make a move pretty quick. They would have, but what makes you think the Sixers would trade for Kyrie? I think they would, I mean, Kyrie's a better player. They, if Kyrie is healthy and motivated, the Sixers upgrade their roster. Mm -hmm. That's how I would view it. And I believe Ben Simmons is a good fit with Durant and Harden, where basically they kind of more or less know what to expect, which is kind of weird saying with Ben Simmons, right? But I think it makes both teams better because they're kind of knowing what they're going to get. And I think there could be a honeymoon stage for both where Simmons and Irving are kind of not acting out. They're just trying to fit in with the team. And but who knows? Something interesting, though, you, you say that Ben Simmons would fit in perfectly with the Nets. I actually think he wouldn't. I think that having – if Simmons is not being a playmaker with the ball, what is he doing on the floor? Well, he's a defensive player of the year candidate to start, and you're talking right. about a team that has kind of needed Kevin Durant to be their defensive anchor. And I think if you take less on his plate on defense, you won't have to worry about him running down on offense throughout the season, you know? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so convinced that Ben Simmons is really like – the ideal or even a good enough person. I don't think it's ideal. I think it's good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't even, I don't even think it's good enough. I think even the team as built is probably fine. Um, I think ben, if you bring in someone like Ben Simmons, you're bringing in someone who is a, 
is, a, is an offensive liability because then that person, wh- whoever's guarding Ben Simmons just guards on whoever has the ball or whoever's hot. Yeah, and I, I've always kind of thought Ben Simmons was kind of a younger version of Draymond Green. And, you know, you don't ask Draymond Green to shoot 20 times. You don't really beg for him to shoot threes. You're asking him to be your defensive anchor. You're asking him to pass. You're asking him to be a leader on the team. Mm-hmm. And I but definitely feel that. But even he'll shoot threes if he has to. Yes, that's correct. And, yes, Ben Simmons had a lot of work to do. And maybe being around two of the greatest shooters of all time, you know, them in his ear, you know, Durant's won a ring. Maybe that gets Simmons' attention. I think there's been a power struggle between him and Embiid where both of them don't really respect the other one as much as they probably should, where you better believe they're gonna, he's going to respect Kevin Durant. So I definitely think, yes, it's not a perfect trade, but I think considering where these two franchises are right now, it makes both of them better and less headaches for the next 12 to 18 months, and then you kind of figure it out from there. Yeah, but they're not going to trade Kyrie, unfortunately. I mean, No, they're not. They're not. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's really quick, with the season around the corner, let's do a couple of award races. Chris, MVP first, who is going to be your pick? Oh, Luca. Luca. All right, so we're, we're both taking Luca. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think he'll carry them. And if you know, they win 45 to 50 games, kind of that range we both expect, I think that's going to get some MVP consideration. And I think a key to this award is just not having other superstars with you, which makes it harder for Kevin Durant to win. I picked Luca last year. I thought he was going to do it. I'm going to pick him again. That's wise. All right. Um, most improved. I'm going with OG Ananobi. I just I've seen great things. I think offensively, he's a guy who is really going to improve on offense and defensively. He's already great. He's a two-way star. I think he's emerging into that next. Kawhi, calling a guy Kawhi Leonard is too much, but he's emerging into the closest thing they can get to Kawhi Leonard. And I think he's going to be a really monster player on both ends for them. And I'm trying to decide between him and my guy, Keldon Johnson. I'm going with OG. I'm going to remember that. OG, the new Kawhi. Let's call him Kawhi Light. Kawhi Light. Okay, I, Kawhi Light. I'm not uh, – I'm going to go with Michael Porter Jr. I think – the thinking here is that the Nuggets are going to need offense, and I think you can expect a bump from Michael uh, Porter Jr., especially with the, you know, the points. And, you know, yeah, that's basically it. There's not a lot of – too much thought there. I think, you know, Michael Porter Jr. definitely has the, the talent for it. He just got paid, and he's so here. he's going to have the opportunities to become most improved there. How many points does Michael Porter average this year? I'm going to go with 24, 25. Okay. That would get from going from 19 to 25, that gets him the award for yeah. sure. He's going to have the opportunities, you know, so that's, that's the thinking with that. Next up, rookie of the year. I hyped him up before. I'm going with Jalen Green. I just think there's going to be so many shot opportunities for him in Houston. He's motivated. He's a guy who's not afraid to, to chuck him up. I really think he's a guy who could be a 20 point scorer in his rookie year and I think it's going to be a battle between him and Cade all year. I'm excited to see them both play each other. I already put money on this one, but um, Cade Cunningham for me, and that the, the part of the thinking with Cade is that they already have some sort of infrastructure with, in terms of some established players, and I think that will really help Cade um, as he you know, essentially fills the role of the best player, right? So you have Jeremy Grant there. 
I think Cade Cunningham will end up being the rookie of the year for, for the Pistons, uh, for the NBA next year. I definitely think like having an infrastructure is like a negative on an award like this because it's a narrative award, right? And it's just like, you're looking for somebody who could step up in a circumstance that does not, is difficult for them, right? And you saw LaMelo Ball last year on a Charlotte team that was going nowhere, step up. I think this year, a Houston team that's going nowhere, step up. Not that Detroit was going to win 40 games with or without Cade, but I definitely think having Jalen Green on a team that is really lost without him, I think will help him secure some votes. Well, that's a part of the, that's part of the thinking with, um, with Cade, that this team has, an, has some talent. I think having someone like Jeremy Grant, having – some established players around him kind of helps his case in terms of uh, gunning for this award. So I'm going to go with Cade Cunningham on this one. As much as I like, you know, the other guys, I think Cade can probably do more with what he has than the others. Yeah, I think that's, that's very fair. And uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, last one here, coach of the year. I'm going with Emma Udoka with, with Boston. They just had such a bad year last year. The core is still there, Tatum and, and, and Brown. I think those guys are going to keep getting better. If this team wins 50 games, which they're very capable of doing, the, the credit's going to go not to the roster of the same players. It's going to go to the coach. So I think Udoka is in a prime position to benefit from a very good Celtic team. Right, but you can also make the case that, like, last year was an, was a aberration because of COVID, because of, you know, all the uncertainties with the team. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I buy this by Udoka as a coach of the year candidate, because as they would have to make a significant jump from last year, A, and then B, probably be in the top four in the East, which I think you had them in your rankings yeah. last week. Right. So if that's the case, then yeah, they might win. Um, for me, I mean, keeping in the theme of what I'm talking about today, I'm going to have Jason Kidd. Listen, we don't like him as a person, but I think the Mavericks are primed to make a run this year. And so if, if the Mavs are a top four, top three team with an MVP candidate, I think you can make the case that Jason Kidd will, could be the coach of the year there. A lot of this is like not based on how they coach or how good they are as coach. It's really based on the roster, right? So like, yes, Dallas has a roster that like a coach of the year could win. That makes sense. It's just like, I've never really seen Jason Kidd be a good coach. Like you saw him in Milwaukee. Yeah. They had really nothing going on there. They Listen, bring in Budenholzer, who I think is a bad coach. And he just unlocks Giannis and they – thrive in that and like maybe Jason Kidd could have done that too but like that team thrived once he left that's when they took off and we kind of give Steve Kerr credit Mm -hmm. for when he unlocked that team after Mark Jackson but like I haven't really seen anything from Jason Kidd that says I'm a really good coach and I think for that reason I'm not thrilled with that pick here's the other other pick though Here's my other, here's my thinking with Jason Kidd too, though. Like, I wonder how being an assistant coach with the Lakers and dealing with LeBron helped. 
I wonder how his experience at his other stints have helped him grow. So I'm kind of giving him a new pass and seeing how he is as a coach. And I think the other narrative you can spin here with, with, with Jason Kidd is that he's returning to his old team where he won a championship. I think, you know, once he starts having interviews, he'll probably talk about how it's great to be back, how, you know, this is the team that drafted me and, you know, I won my, my first championship with, now I want to bring a championship for my players. Like, I, I can see a scenario where he can win this based off that sort of narrative before. So that's, that's where I'm going with him. That's sort of, yeah. I think that's very good point. And uh, that's about it for us on our Western conference over unders and awards. Chris, this is always one of my favorite shows of the year. I love oh, wait. seeing right. Defensive player of the year. Defensive player of the year. I'm going to go bam. I think that, that oh, uh, Miami Heat team is uh, they're going to be great defensively. And for these awards, you're always looking for the best defensive team and who's the best defensive player on that defensive team. I'm going with the anchor in BAM. I just, you know, Gobert is always a good option, but I don't think teams, you know, voters really want to give it a guy three, four, five times the same award. So I'm going BAM there. I'm probably going to go, I'm going to, I'm I'm not going to, you know, reinvent the wheel here. I think I'm going to go with um, Anthony Davis. I think uh, the Lakers are going to be in a spot where they're going to get a lot of national games. I think by the nature of what their team is, it's going to be really slow. So yeah. I think it'll be in a I – think, I think Anthony Davis might take on lesser of a scoring load and become more of like a, a defensive anchor for that team. And you're going to need it in the West where you're dealing with a lot of the great front court players like Kat and like Jokic. So I'm inclined to take Anthony Davis here. I definitely like that one a lot. And that is going to do it for us here on All Hoops. Thank you so much for watching us on YouTube or listening on the pod. We'll be back again in a couple of days to talk about the Knicks, uh, you know, preseason, how they look, what's our, you know, expectations for this season. We already did our over-under there, but we're both very high on this group. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, subscribe on our brand new YouTube channel, and leave us a comment. Let us know what you want us to talk about on a future show. We will be happy to do it. Right, Chris? Yes, sir. And that'll do it for us. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone.